Welcome back to the Teaching in Tech podcast for season two with Alan and Chad, where we continue to explore everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Working with teachers, we see amazing things happening in classrooms every day. In each episode, we'll detail teaching strategies and technology integration ideas that are working. Also, special guests will join us to share strategies that have been successful with students. Well, in episode two this year, our topic is going to be getting off to a good start in the school year, along with building relationships with students and enhancing student engagement. So, I mean, as we start any school year, right, you really want to focus on getting kids engaged. Uh, how, do, how do we bring them in? You know, there's a lot of different ideas that Chad and I, I mean, that we've seen, but, but really, Chad, when we kind of reflect on it, what are, what are some of the key points that you, that you think should be focused on when we start detailing what teachers should be doing in class or could be doing in class to really pull these kids in? Well, I think the first thing in any classroom is you do have to start building that relationship with each student in your class, getting to know them. So there's an element of familiarity. So there's a comfort level there. And also so that they know how your class is going to run and what you're going to expect from them. Right. So outlining some of those expectations uh, along with the getting to know you. I know uh, some of the people I've worked with say they like to focus the first whole week on, on establishing these norms and and like an SEL curriculum, really getting kids connected to school, feeling like school is important, uh, kind of meeting some of those social emotional needs in the process, you know, instead of just jumping right in. I think that's a good point because kids are coming from so many different backgrounds and especially even now post COVID, uh, just the things that students have been through in the last three to four years to think that each student comes back in August, you know, eager and ready to learn in a position to be able to, to be successful. That's not always the case. So being able to help kind of bridge some of those gaps a little bit and being able to find ways to get them focused on why school is important and what they can do to be successful. That is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, if they're not in the headspace to, to be ready for school, right, that's going to take second fiddle to anything that that's really on their mind. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into some of these strategies. Then you want to start us off. So one of the things that we've been noticing in our own building as we've been out working with teachers this year, uh, there were a couple things that stood out as beginning of the year activities. So most teachers have, you know, a selection of things they do in the first week or in the first month just to get their, their students acclimated back in school, to get to know the kids a little bit better, to help the students get to know them. But we've come across a few things that uh, teachers are doing that have really been, I, I think, interesting and things that are worth looking at. The first one, uh, one of the teachers in our school, to have the kids introduce themselves, not all kids feel comfortable standing up in front of others or talking about themselves. So one of our teachers, what she does actually is has the students create an introduction video about themselves using iMovie. And I really liked as I was, I got a chance to stop in this class and help out on a couple different occasions as the students had some questions with the technology. But there's a couple reasons why I really like this project. One is that the goal of the project is to help the students introduce themselves. So we always start with technology integration, looking at what's our objective and what's our goal. But the other thing that's really nice as, as she was achieving that goal of having the students introduce themselves, she was also implementing technology into it where the students are building technology skills, working with iPad, which is their primary device that they use for learning uh, in our building. And so 
it's really a, a nice thing to see that as they're working on that beginning of the years, think about compared to just a basic introduction where you might stand up and tell a couple things about yourself. In this case, the students have a chance to be creative. They have a chance to learn how to, if they haven't used iMovie before, they have a chance to, to use that program to learn how to use it a little bit better. If they have used it before, it gives them a chance to develop some creativity and show some creative ways uh, uh, of how they can express, you know, what they want people to know about themselves. So, and then in the end too, once those projects are complete, students are able to watch each other's videos and it gives them a chance to display their work. So there's an authentic audience, which goes along with the project. And I'm even thinking, you know, from an instructional standpoint, when they come in, right, <clears throat> depending on how that's formatted, they're really establishing those instructional norms with that, with that project, right? Like you said, they're setting a goal by using technology. Uh, they're giving a time parameter on when it needs to be done. So you're really starting to establish what you would do with any project. And then, you know, you're, you would hope that the final product would be something that every student's proud of. But then you can kind of see like their level of engagement. How much do they really want to put into these types of projects? You know, some students, you know, they, they're really invested in school. Others are like, I'm just here to, to get through what I need to get through. Right. And you can kind of even use that as a little bit of a gauge. They, I don't think either one's bad, right? You want to support the kid with what their goal is and where they need to be. But I, I really like that start of a project because it could encompass a lot of different pieces of school beyond just saying, who are you? Yeah. And there's one last component to that that I thought was really uh, a nice feature too. The reason in my role as a technology resource teacher, the reason I got involved with the project on a couple different occasions, students after they completed their video, they were trying to, from iMovie, share that video and put it over into Google Classroom to turn it in in the assignment. And most of the students had success with that, but there were a few that didn't have the right options showing up in their Google Classroom. Hmm. And that sometimes happens with tech. We worked on it and worked on it, and I could not get that to work the way that it was intended to. But we were able to then, with those individual students, I was able to show them a couple ways that we could kind of backdoor, get a copy of their video, and then attach it to Google Classroom. And I think that's a, actually a good lesson for students is that sometimes technology, in most cases, it works great. But in some cases, things come up that we can't really explain why it's not working right. We try some troubleshooting steps. And especially in an environment like a school where the devices are managed, sometimes things are a little bit more limited and weird things tend to happen a little bit more than when you're working with your own personal device. But it gave the students a chance just to get some practice with how they'd be turning in assignments digitally. And that's a valuable thing for the teacher to get some extra practice with that early in the year and not waiting till maybe two or three weeks into the school year. That's great. I mean, that even encompasses a little bit more of those norms that they'd want to reinforce throughout the school year. So, so let's... Oh, go ahead. No, I was, yeah, I was jumping right in. Our next one that I uh, really wanted to highlight, uh, different, di very different approach, um, not as technology driven, but definitely uh, very inclusive in, in how they approach and pulling all students in to, to feel part of our community. Um, these introductions created a puzzle. And so students received a puzzle piece. And on this puzzle piece, right, they kind of described who they were, uh, and, and provided their own personal interpretation of themselves as their introduction. And then on the wall, right, the, the teacher had then created what would be like a full puzzle that showed all the kids were interlocked together in the classroom to be a part of one community. And I think something like that's pretty powerful, especially in our building, right, where we have such a diverse background of students 
And yeah, even now a global background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for them to see themselves as a part of something bigger than a single puzzle piece, right? They're a part of a whole puzzle. I thought that that was a great visual. I agree. And, the, you know, the teacher who put that activity together, she definitely takes a lot of time to try to make each student feel included and feel part of what she has going on. And I thought that project really was a nice representation of that, you know, the value that she has in, in bringing in each student and making everybody, you know, feel comfortable and find their place. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. And it didn't take, you know, some people always worry that I'm wasting time. You know, I always have all this curriculum to go through. I always have to teach all this before a test, but at the end of the day, if somebody, and I think I said this last season, right? I, I was told they either love the content or they love the teacher, right? And and so they, you don't know either one at that point. If you can't establish one of those connections to start that class, it, you know, it could be all for nothing to That's just jump true. right in. Because the other side could be that they, you know, hate the content and hate the teacher. And in that case, there's not going to be much of a chance for success. So Yeah. So you need one of those to get them to learn and... In that case, I think you're at least starting to engage on one of the ends. Mm -hmm. All right. So for our next strategy, then let's move forward and talk a little bit about goal setting. And most teachers in general have some goals in mind when they start each school year. And maybe they are content related. Maybe they're um, strategy related to what kind of strategies they want to use, specific lessons. In some cases, maybe their goal is just survival to get through the year. But Anytime we can get students into the mindset of goal setting, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about a couple of things that we've noticed in the building that teachers are doing uh, that have that have been good. In our building, we have with our PBIS system, we have uh, basically an acronym that we use called BARC. And what that stands for is to be on time for B, act responsibly for A, respect self and others for R, and keep learning for K. So those are the, the four basic things that we want all students doing. And what we saw one teacher doing early in the year, which I thought was really a nice way to get kids focused on that PBIS uh, concept of BARC, is he had the students actually setting goals for themselves in each of those areas. So for some students, if they're always on time for class, being on time, they're not really going to have much of a goal, maybe other than to continue doing that. But for students who've struggled with tardies and truancy and those kind of things, goal setting in the area of being on time, that's something that they definitely could look to improve on. Uh, the same thing with the idea of acting responsibly. You know, some kids tend to be able to function better in the uh, organizational structure of a classroom. Other kids at times have trouble you know, making good choices and making decisions. So to set a goal to get fewer detentions or spend less time uh, in the in-school suspension setting or even, you know, even something more than that also could be a good goal. But what was interesting then as they got into the other goals with, um, you know, the idea of what are their learning goals, they were able to put all those on a chart and then the teacher had those posted out in the hallway, uh, kind of displaying those goals that students had set for themselves wrapped around one of the bark charts mm -hmm. and so we make an effort to post all over the building we have several of those charts in different different uh, locations of the building which is really kind of a, a staple of pbis is to make those charts visible and posted well yeah one one big focus on any initiative right is the visual aspect the appeal and knowing that that's established first before you can build on it right you got to have something to, to visually see and represent 
But one thing that really stuck out for me with this type of activity and why I think it's so powerful is we make a lot of assumptions about what our kids know or understand, right? And to be able to do this type of activity and set a goal for yourself or with the students for themselves is you, you have to come to a mutual understanding of what that bark chart really represents, right? You have to do a teaching piece about expected behaviors. And then from those expected behaviors, how can you set yourself to a higher standard in one of these categories? You know, and, and I don't think we do a great job collectively in education, right? Because we are pulling so many things from all over the place. We don't do a great job of really focusing and hammering down on those because we make assumptions that, well, they did it last year. They should remember it. And we do it with adults too. We hear that a lot at the high school level. Yeah. Yeah. These are things they should have learned in middle school. We shouldn't have to be spending time with this with high school students. And while I don't disagree, right. Even as adults, I think of myself, right. There's things I forget or I misinterpret or I, or I continue to evolve in my mind, but you really kind of maybe a little bit of redirection to get me down to the initial focus. And I thought that this was a great way to start the year by doing something like that. I agree. So another thing too, that I wanted to mention, uh, how many over the years in your time as a math teacher, you've sat through a few IEP meetings, right? As the general education teacher. Oh yeah. Plenty. And I've been through uh, many myself as a, as a middle school science teacher over the years as well. Uh, I know you've mentioned something that students that uh, have IEP goals are doing a little bit differently this year. Could you maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So last few that I've sat in, I uh, have been kind of put back in a good way where students have been tasked with creating a presentation and the presentation is supposed to encompass their short and long-term goals and then their plan to get there. And then they have to actually present it to the IEP team uh, as, you know, themselves, you know, obviously on the IEP side of things, I love it because you're now at the high school level, they are an equal partner in their own education. So making them be an advocate for themselves is is one of our goals as adults implementing an IEP. But then on the other hand, how powerful something like that could be with all students where when I would do goal setting with, with my classes, they may not really understand the difference between short long-term goals, mm-hmm. what a realistic goal is, how to truly set um, kind of steps to achieve the goal. And the the way that this template, right, it was a created template that every kid's going to use how this could almost scaffold or build kids up to that understanding of how to set goals, set steps to achieve goals, and then continue to progress monitor themselves mm-hmm. towards those goals. I just thought that seeing that in that small setting, man, how powerful that would be if every student was had the opportunity to kind of take ownership in that regard. Yeah, I can think back to um, kind of shifting gears back to the IEP side of it. In, in the meeting, how many of those meetings I sat through where uh, the person leading the meeting read through the IEP, the parents seemed very confused during the discussion of it. The student just kind of sat there as they were being discussed and talked about without much interaction. And then when I look at it using this strategy where the student actually has done some work in advance leading up to it, presents on their short and long-term goals, which obviously a resource teacher that they're working with is going to assist them with that, with that presentation and right. how they're setting their goals you know, preparing them in, in advance of the meeting. And then it, it kind of reminds me of, of the concept that some of the teachers at the elementary school and middle school had used over the years, these student-led conferences. 
this is a way for the student, even though they're not really leading the IEP meeting, there's a similarity there where they have a stake in it and they're kind of, you know, describing and discussing the goals that they've set for themselves. And as you mentioned, that's really the, that's really the point of the IEP is to help them achieve their short-term and then long-term goals. And as you mentioned, uh, what a great thing for not just our students who have the, the specialized goals, but what a great thing for all of our students to be thinking about short and long-term goals. And it made me think a little bit as you were talking about that, uh, the difference maybe on how we might interpret short and long-term goals versus the student. You know, think about at the student's age, let's just take high school students, for example, 15, 16, 17 years old, <laughs> their time horizons, you know, are going to be different than ours just because in the number of years that they've been alive, they just don't have as much experience or, you know, as long of a lifespan to be able to think about, you know, a five-year goal is a much longer period of time for a 16-year-old than it is for somebody who's 45 or 50 years old. Right. So. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to kind of go down a little rabbit hole and you may appreciate this, Chad. They had the students creating these. It wasn't like they were just documenting on a, on a piece of paper, you know, short-term, long-term, how I'm going to get there there was a slideshow, right? Nice. And then I started thinking, if you were to do this building wider, class wider with anybody, how you could almost navigate towards a keynote or a pages doc. And then students can pull in interactives and a little bit more research on what that goal encompasses. And then the steps of how to get there, the college research, the trades research, you know, they could almost create a profile of themselves that then, you know, they could continue to update and modify throughout their high school career. To be a living document, yeah, that continues to adjust and to be uh, updated. That is, that is a really interesting concept. So finishing up, we have one more strategy that we want to look at. And we're going to use a word that makes some people cringe here, dealing with data. But when you use the technology that's available, collecting beginning of the year data doesn't necessarily have to be a painful process. No. And when you say, you know, data, I'm immediately on board, jumping in ready to start looking at it. Uh, but there's yes. actually, what's that? The math guy. You got it. Um, but there's there's one that I've always been very uh, interested in, and, and that's been the learning style inventory. Uh, and I think that's because when I would design instruction, knowing math it was not always the most exciting content, kind of hitting the point of what's the best way to get the student engaged or what's the best way to kind of meet their need with that content. And, and, you know, there's different ways, different tests that you can give for the learning style inventory. Uh, heck, even at one point you and I had created a self, uh, self-generating doc, right. That would send out the inventory where you don't have to score it, but really it's what about 15 questions, anywhere from 15 to 30 asking a student about different preferences and then that data could be used all year long. And it's it's a basic calculation. I really, and as we've mentioned in the past, I really think the key with that learning style inventory is if you use the tools that are available, putting it into a Google form where in the end, after the students work through the inventory, then you have meaningful data that you can sort by class period and by student groups where, you know, if you think about that for trying to differentiate your groups or trying to come up with activities class by class that fit the needs of your students all that information is already organized for you and all you need to do is sort and filter in your sheet and then you're ready to put that data to use and i think that's really an, an important part of the process is find a way that you can do these things 
so that you don't have to spend a ton of time on the back end making sense of the data because we know with the way teachers are crunched for time, the more work you have to do with the data, the less likely is you're going to have time to actually use it. So right. another thing that fits with that learning style inventory that we've seen in the past, you can go online and there are a number of different personality tests that are available. And one of the things that I've found working with students over the years is a topic that most students, at least at the middle school level, are interested in is themselves. So taking, taking a personality test is kind of an interesting concept because uh, we saw one that was uh, introduced um, in our building a couple of years ago called 16 Personalities. And it was a as you went through and answered like an inventory of things that you like and things that you don't like and ways you might be uh, responding in certain situations and things you might not necessarily do. It was able to generate a, a personality profile for you. And I know we both went, worked through that just out of curiosity to see how it would turn out. And from the results that I found, it was pretty accurate. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I think there's always a piece that, that you may reflect on and go, yeah, I, I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't have thought that, but it is probably true. And I'd imagine that kids as they do that, they're not as self-aware as, as adults tend to be or can be. And uh, that might be very telling for them, you know, a little bit more of a reflection on who they are and how they are. I see it benefiting in two ways, really. I, one, you talk about trying to come up with things that could generate some interest early in the school year. I can see uh, a number of students finding the results of that interesting and then maybe some activity or discussion working with the results of what they found. But the other thing that could be helpful with that for the teacher is the idea that you could then get maybe a better overall viewpoint of where the kids are in your classes. Mm -hmm. And let's say, for example, if based on personality profile that you have a class that has a lot of kids who tend to be more introverted, it doesn't mean that there's no value in having them do things to kind of bring them out of their shell. But you might want to gear your instruction a little bit more toward their personality types. And then it might direct you in ways that you might need to bring them a little bit along a little bit more slowly or a little more cautiously uh, instead of just diving right into like your, your same, you know, your same formula that you use class by class, period by period every year. Right. And I would argue that that is uh, just as beneficial as the learning style inventory, but very different in nature. Right. Where if you were to couple those things, man, how powerful that'd be to understand, you know, just how the student operates as a person, but then their best way of learning as well. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. When you put both of those together, you know, the two things probably that matter most in teaching and learning is, you know, individuals and people along with how, how we learn best. So that, that's a great point. Another thing that's really important as far as beginning of the year data, you know, depending on your specific school, depending on your specific district, you're most likely giving some type of student diagnostic at the beginning of the year. And so in our building this year, uh, for us, we're looking at uh, something new this year. Uh, one thing that's always consistent is, is change. And we're using something new uh, through Edmentum, uh, the exact path program where students are taking diagnostics and reading and math. And then as they do that, it generates for them a learning path. So for the teachers, uh, what do you think is the most important thing that they need to do at the beginning of the year when dealing with a program like that? Well, in our case, right, you're coming in, like you said, it's new. I, I think your approach has, it will be a little bit different if it's more established versus when it's not. 
Um, in our case, right, when it's new and you're trying to not only find importance for yourself because you've never used it, but also get kids to take it serious, right, there has to be some type of ownership there, getting them to understand why we're doing it and how it's going to be used. Uh, I've, I've realized when I was in the classroom, the best thing I could do is be completely open and honest with my kids. So when we would use at the time, it was map. We are doing a map test. So I know how to best support you based on where you're at. If you give me an inaccurate result, I'm going to assume you're somewhere that you're not. And then when I do that, right, you end up with something either really hard or really easy when I can meet you where you're at based on a, a valid test result. And honestly, my, my kids took it serious. We did goal setting, right? There were things because then they saw that I was actually using it. Um, maybe I didn't know how to use it at the time. When we first brought it in, I could just be saying that with the hopes of that being my goal. Right. I think I think a lot of time when we come in anything new, we just don't know. And I think our kids feed off of that, right? That that uncertainty sometimes. So I, I gave MAP as well at the middle school science level. And one of the things that I found is MAP did a pretty good job of identifying where they were. Mm -hmm. And the problem was in science is that it would break it down by different science concepts that are really broad. And so I would, after I got that score, I would know where they were. But as far as, you know, knowing specific ways to meet them where they're at and then bring them along... I had a really difficult time identifying not only like how to do that, but then, you know, to be able to group them and give each kid individually what they need. And that's where this program that we're using this year seems to be like a step ahead of that mm -hmm. is developing these specific learning plans for students um, that have specific skills that they need to work on based on their diagnostics. That's a, that's a pretty cutting edge type thing, in my opinion. The thing I think that teachers are going to need to step in and be able to assist with, as you kind of mentioned, is that developing some routines and some ways to motivate the students to work on it. Because just like uh, a Khan Academy, just like the personalized things that come along with some of our digital curriculums for some of our textbooks, some of those tools are already there. But if the students don't use them consistently or use them effectively, they're really not going to do any good. So I'm, I'm already looking at how can the, the teacher in this case be a motivator to give the students, you know, small uh, but effective ways to kind of bring them along each week and get them to do their 40 minutes of, of practice on their our learning targets. And I think, like you said, setting those norms uh, and having conversations with the kids. And I want and I'm going to say this and I'll say it 100 times after no program, no online resource will ever be able to replace a teacher in the classroom. Right. So whenever we talk about a diagnostic or we talk about uh, individualized path program, those things are to help support and provide additional outlets to meet the student needs. But at no at no end could it ever supersede what our teachers are capable of doing. No, and and the teacher they're using that as a tool. So a diagnostic that's personalized for the student you know, it assists the teacher and maybe does something that the teacher couldn't do on their own, but then the teacher still has to motivate and has to support and has to guide the students, you know, through their work and their, their, their progress as they try to improve and they try to, you know, build on their skills. Of course. Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, when we start pulling all these together between our learning style, our personality test and the diagnostic, um, the other piece is kind of like a student information collection. Uh, and this was kind of a newer idea, but trying to gather 
uh, almost a profile on every kid, right? I know that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do when every teacher probably has anywhere from 100 to 200 students, right, on a roster. Um, but the more that you can compile, it doesn't mean that you have to be a master of every student, but the more that you can compile, the more when you start having those one-on-one -on -one conversations or starting to look at how a student operates or designing instruction, you know, the easier it will be to create those resources. Uh, one thing that you brought up, Chad, was, you know, being able to maybe use just Google Forms. Google Forms generates into a spreadsheet. It's easy to filter things from that point. Um, even just asking the student simple things like, you know, the class the, and then going into their details. So you can filter by class and then about what, you know, about themselves. Um, other it's types of demographic information, too, because as we know, a lot of times the information in our school SIS uh, systems it's not always up to date or accurate. So if you can yeah. get to fill something out on the first day of school, you might do a, uh, a little bit better as far as getting accurate contact info. I, you know, before we really brought in Google a lot, I used to send flyers home to all the families and made it part of my first week. You were required to bring it back. Right. And the student, the parent would have to put a phone number and an email and to speak to your point, right. That wasn't always what was matching online match. Right. And the other thing too, that, that to me, I think is helpful is when you have the students do that on a digital form, you're built, you're most likely going to be using that digital form and other capacities throughout the year. So it's a, it's a way early in the year to be working on those skills, implementing those skills of where to find the link to the form, how to submit it. And then your end as a teacher, I can, I can think back to like my old information card I used to do on the first day of school having to like collect all those and alphabetize them. Like I spent my whole first day of school, like, you know, at the end of the day, alphabetizing stacks of cards. Now everything is compiled into a sheet where I can sort it. I can work with the data and it becomes that much more useful to me. Yeah. Definitely utilizing technology to uh, make things easier. So just a few final thoughts in terms of wrapping up today. At the beginning of the school year, one thing to keep in mind is, to be successful, it's going to take some repetition. It's going to take some time. So you want to be as consistent as possible. And even if things aren't necessarily falling into place after the first week or the first week and a half, just stick with the routines because uh, that, that repetition will help build what you want to have happen in the classroom. Yeah. And, and to speak to that point, making sure you outline what you want to have happen. Um, you know, so to really having that framework to start your school year of saying these are really in your mind, your non-negotiables. And then those are the things you're going to continue to reiterate. And then students will eventually, right? It, we are, we're essentially teaching them how to operate in our rooms. And so we just have to, like you said, be patient about it. The other thing too is, you know, in addition to your class system and the students getting comfortable with how you do things, and in addition to that taking time, you know, building the connections with students, that doesn't always happen overnight either. Mm -hmm. In my experience, it's been such a thing that if you just each day keep coming back and, and working with, with each group, class by class, period by period, you start to see those relationships, some of that over time just building naturally as the students become more comfortable with you and how you do things. Uh, they start to get to know you. They they figure that out that you're someone that they can trust, that you're someone who's genuine, who's going to come in and work hard for them every day. Uh, those things do develop over time. And uh, so if it's not coming together right away, uh, you got to just keep at it and keep keep kind of chopping wood, so to speak. 
Yeah, and and when you made the comment about being genuine, right, I immediately think being yourself, you know, and being very open with your students. I, obviously, there's a line. I'm not saying that. But, but when they feel like you're being authentic with them and you're talking to them like a human being, right, there's a different line than if you come in thinking, I just demand control because I feel the need to demand control, right? Yes. If they see the rationale and understand it, right, you can have the control, but why do they need to give you the control? And so sometimes the, the outline uh, will help you be consistent in developing those routines. Yeah. And be, being yourself is definitely something that they can, if you're trying to be someone you're not, they can see right through that. And that really does undermine a lot of what you're trying to accomplish. So, all right, well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode on getting the year off to a good start. Remember building relationships and developing routines doesn't happen overnight. Just keep getting a little bit better one day at a time. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find all episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.